Welcome to Pass It On with CWR Talent. I'm Corinne Winterisay, and this is my podcast. At CWR Talent, we've dedicated this podcast to sharing the experiences of some of the most successful executives in my network. And it's not always the ones at the top. We'll speak to leaders of all styles and hear advice on how to build a rewarding and meaningful career with resilience, tenacity, and balance. For those of you who know me, I've had the pleasure to work with some of the most gifted and bright business leaders over the last 30 years in the hospitality and entertainment industries. I've guided hundreds of candidates in moves of their professional lives. My specialty? Discover talent and pass it on. That's it. In simpler terms, I'm a headhunter with a twist. I hope to shine a light on the beauty of coaching and mentoring to gain emotional intelligence and balance in your life and how you can benefit from what we've got to share. Join me and my very special guests for in-depth Q&A interviews covering our industry's challenges and the current market for talent. This is CWR, and let's pass it on. Welcome. This is CWR, and on today's pod, I'd like to discuss what can happen if you allow your entire personal identity to be wrapped up in a job title, and how to shift your perspective for a better balance. In reference to an insightful article written by Jana Koretz, a psychologist and founder of Azimuth, focusing uniquely on providing therapy focused on the challenges of individuals in high-pressure careers. She's had a poignant view on how we need to be wary of the syndrome and rethink our balance. You can regain your footing by simply shifting your point of view of what is important to you. All can become clear from a values-based perspective. To make it relevant to our industry and what we see every day since last year's global pause in hospitality, we'll modify the example slightly for our story's purposes. Let's consider all the senior executives that have been made redundant through no fault of their own, but a global pandemic. Let's begin with a senior corporate executive of a globally popular luxury hotel group who was no longer due at the office, but instead he was slumped on his sofa, unshaven, in his pajamas, depressed. Sound improbable? Not at all. This exec had always thought everything would just go his way. It always had up until now. It began slowly in a meeting with particularly pushy client when a thought bubbled up in his head, why the hell am I even here? Other execs at work were arguing more with him lately, not blindly executing his orders, challenging his strategies. And from that moment, he noticed that his impatience and his unhappiness and his frustration with his job grew deeper until all at once he realized he didn't find the happiness or fulfillment in his work, and maybe he never had. For someone who had built his entire idea of himself around his career, his identity of who he is and his reputation as one of the top in his function, this, this thought sent him into a panic. Who was he, if not a high-powered senior hotel company executive? Had he wasted so many years killing himself for nothing? Would he have had more friends and a happier family if he hadn't spent all those nights and weekends at the office? When forcible redundancy or temporary furlough happens to someone 
whose entire identity is wrapped up in their job and who they are, the story isn't uncommon. Many people with high-pressure jobs find themselves unhappy with their careers despite working hard their whole lives just to get there. Hating your job is one thing, but what happens if you so closely identify with your work that hating your job means you end up hating yourself? You end up losing confidence. We've all heard hundreds and hundreds of redundancy stories in our industry this year, and we need to be mindful that allowing ourselves to keep those boundaries clear about what is enmeshment in our careers. Psychologists use this term, enmeshment, to describe a situation where the boundaries between people become blurred and individual identities lose importance. Enmeshment prevents the development of a stable, independent sense of self. This executive, like many other in high-pressure jobs, had become enmeshed not with another person, but with his career. People with similar existential identity issues linked to a professional identity that has overtaken your life and your place in it. A particular confluence of high achievement, intense competitiveness, and a culture of overwork has caught many in a perfect storm of career enmeshment and burnout. Over the years, we found that these issues interact in such complex ways with people's identity, personality, and emotions that it often requires full-on psychological therapy to address them successfully. So what is it about high-pressure careers that too often leads to mental health issues like those described here have faced? The work culture in many high-pressure fields often rewards working longer hours with raises, prestige, and promotions. This senior corporate executive found that spending more and more time in the office or in the hotels or tethered to his iPhone was the price he had to pay for his rapid rise through the company. However, when you engage in any intense activity for the great majority of your waking hours, that activity will tend to become more and more central to your identity, if only because it has displaced other activities and relationships with which you might identify. Certain careers or career achievements are often highly valued in an individual's family or community for this person. This exec's parents had both been hoteliers, and while they never explicitly pushed him into a hospitality career, they had high hopes for his professional and financial achievements. Most hospitality people are sticklers for performance and getting the details right. When career success is seen as the ultimate life goal, individuals can feel disconnected from their family and peers if they fail to or just simply choose not to achieve a certain level of professional success. This fear of failure and isolation drives people to center their lives on achieving what is expected of them. This intense focus and drive, however, forces their identities to ultimately become synonymous with their work. When high-pressure jobs are paired with a big paycheck, individuals can find themselves launched into a new socioeconomic class. It wasn't just the homes, the cars, the vacations, the gadgets, the expat deals that the execs suddenly couldn't live without. It was the friends, the dinner parties, the charity galas, the invitations, the events. Our identities are highly influenced by how we present ourselves to others. When someone forms an identity focused around wealth, achievement, and influence, they tie themselves to that high-paying career that got them there. Even for those who don't burn out, 
Constructing one's identity closely around a career is a risky move. Companies and entire industries struggle and go under. Age discrimination can make it especially difficult for those in their mid to late stages of career to find a suitable role in their field after a redundancy or a layoff. No matter how it happens, becoming disconnected from a career that forms the foundation of your identity can lead to bigger issues such as depression or anxiety. So how do you know if your identity has become enmeshed with your career? Consider the following questions. One, how much do you think about your job outside the office? Is your mind frequently consumed with work-related thoughts? Is it difficult to participate in conversations with others that are not about your work? Number two, how do you describe yourself? How much of this description is tied up in your job title and company? Are there any other ways you would describe yourself? How quickly do you tell people you've just met about your job? Number three, where do you spend most of your time? Has anyone ever complained to you that you were in the office too much? Number four, do you have hobbies outside of work that do not directly involve your work-related skills or abilities? Are you able to consistently spend your time exercising other parts of your brain? How would you feel if you could no longer continue in your profession? How distressing would this be to you? If these questions cause you to worry about the degree to which your job has influenced your identity, there are things you can do to initiate change. You can accomplish these on your own or with the help of a really great career coach who understands the challenges faced by individuals in high-pressure careers, or you can go through traditional therapy. But after a very serious year like we've all been through, I think we just all need a little bit extra help in getting back on our feet. You free up time. Delegate tasks at work to free up time so that you can work on these non-work-related activities. Start small. Focus on just something small outside of work, a hobby or something you've always meant to do or sign up for or get involved with and, and just set the time for it. Rebuild your network. Reach out to those family and friends that you haven't talked to through most of the, the year of hibernation and you'll end up having a great time, and it doesn't take much. And all the adult relationships have shown that the, just having three to five close contacts with whom you can really discuss issues gives the highest level of satisfaction. Decide what's important to you. Establish and review your principles and values. What is most important to you? Think about what you care about in life and let those priorities guide you towards what's next. Look beyond your job title. Consider reframing your relationship to your career, not simply in terms of your company or title, but in terms of your skills that could be used across different contexts. For example, while identifying closely with your career is not necessarily bad, it makes you vulnerable to a painful identity crisis if you burn out, get laid off, are let go, or retire. I invited to join me for this remote discussion my very special guest, Nicole Matusnik. Nicole joins us from Paris, France. Nicole's an entrepreneur, educator, and a lecturer with the American Business School of Paris and CMH European Center of Hotel Management, and sits on the front lines of our aspiring leaders in the classroom. Welcome back, Nikki, to Pass It On. 
Oh, thank you, Corinne, for asking me back. It's a pleasure to join you. Oh, great. Here we are on a Saturday morning, and I'd like to bring our aspiring leader listeners into this part of the discussion. This is not usually a topic spoken about within the industry, although we know we all know it exists. And meshing your identity with your career has often been rewarded with a promotion or financial reward. No wonder everybody thinks it's expected. But when the job isn't there any longer, it's best to develop this balance intentionally so you can weather any storm. I mean, Nikki, you know I'm a solution-focused kind of gal. What are your thoughts? Well, firstly, as we've built our whole career and life around that job, we have to start in the beginning to remember who we are and our values and what's important to us. One thing that I'm doing now with my students from the American Business School and other higher institutions is when we work on our elevator pitches or questions, tell me about yourself, what's your story? We really wanna dig deep about the students' values so they remember who they are and can take that forward in the next step. That's really good. I mean, for students, for example, I mean, we suggest to the professionals who are out there who are, you know, have had, you know, 20, 30 years to enmesh themselves into their identity. And so they struggle quite a bit because they've gone this far with it. But for those people's freeing up time, it's more about delegating, you know, to other people so they can free up time for themselves. But when you're a student, how do you know, how does a student free up time from school? What do they do? How do they start small? Well, that's a that's a good question for students. And one thing that I encourage them to do is to keep a productivity calendar where they include not only the class time, this is when I'm doing homework, but what are you doing for yourself? Are you going to take a 15 minute walk a day? Are you going to include some sport time, reading? And then when they look back at the end of each day, they can say, oh, I did this for myself. I remember my hobbies and what I like to do. It's really hard to do, too, when they're young and just starting, especially when these business uh, school students generally have some professional experience and they're climbing the ladder. So they are usually working more hours than they ever would later in their career. And so you got to wonder how they how do they free up time? That's right. And we have to start small, whether it's for students, it's for you, it's for me, it's for our corporate listeners. We have to start small. If we can't hurry up two hours to go to the gym, how about a 15-minute walk or a walk after supper? Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people in our entourage, uh, having had a year of time to focus, you know, some people got crazy and cleaned their houses, which some people decided to start painting, I mean, and, and came out of corporate careers into some very artistic, creative things that I think created great balance for everyone uh, during this past year in any case. That's wonderful. Going back to art, doing something with our hands. For some people, it was even cooking more. And art, like you said, for painting, reading, uh, it's great to get back to basics. But what's funny is, is when that's all imposed upon you by a quarantine or things that have nothing to do with your profession or your job or your life. It's all just, you know, happenstance, you know, then it's not so much a matter of freeing up time. We were, we had forced time. So we came up with things to do and occupy ourselves. Whereas when they get busy again, back in their quote, normal lives and every, all the buzz of activity takes a a bigger form. How are they going to then free up that time? Because you know how easy it is for people to get 
caught up in that whirlwind. Exactly. We, we need to find some kind of system for ourselves. Productivity calendars, using your agenda, uh, sticky notes in your home office or a note behind the door before you leave. What am I going to do that's good for myself today? Excellent. And and as far as reconnecting with your network, there's, you know, there's a, a million and one uh, people that have different excuses for not keeping in contact. Uh, a lot of senior executives clearly, you know, spend so much time enmeshing their identity with their job title and their career that they don't have free time and they don't reconnect with their networks, except under very, unless they're related to their jobs. And so then on top of all that, we have single mothers who have even less free time for their own needs. I need those that support network of three to five very close mates who, with whom you can bounce off and soundboard ideas. That's right. Looking at your, your close friends, that network is important. Or finding a mentor or going back to the mentor you had years ago and have lost touch with. Now, I have another idea. What I did throughout the, the quarantine was I joined a book club uh, where I did my undergraduate studies at Luther College. This was an alumni book club and we would meet every Tuesday. Now for me in Paris, it was at midnight. It was at 5 p.m. in the States. And I was looking to reconnect with alumni because we share the values of Luther College. We share the love of the book for that book club. I did five book clubs this year. And I put in my calendar from midnight to 1.30 in the morning. I, I had to use that as my accountability for the reading. But what's come out of it after one year in five book clubs, I've made a few new friends. Other people have been interested in what's going on in France, what's happening in the world. And it's been a very rich exchange and a support that I, I wasn't looking for. You know, it was a nice surprise. It is a nice surprise. And, and and of course, all of us connecting in this way. I mean, this is my famous quarantini at its finest. You know, we developed our little quarantini crowd amongst uh, us professional and personal friends and made a religious network out of meeting at least once a month to uh, to support and hear everybody's experiences. And I think it's it's a valuable thing. And that is what you just said about once a month. That's important. We won't have time every week. You know, life gets in the way. But even if it's once a month, once every six weeks, you have something to look forward to. Make that commitment to that meeting, mentorship, group, or just, you know, with those close friends. We need to keep that ahead of us. Always looking forward to the next meeting. Sounds so simple, doesn't it, Nikki? You'd think that people would know these things naturally. These are all very basic kind of easy pieces of advice of how to not allow something to enmesh you or engulf you so much that you don't know who you are anymore. And by having these little tiny moments that you control the focus and the attention you're going to give to subjects gives people that little bit of balance that they need in order to look at everything else pragmatically. I mean, what's important overall to people? Everything has to fit into that overall goal. What do you think of that? I completely agree. And we can't, even in a one-week schedule, we can't include, I'm going to do my sport, my art, uh, go out with my kids. I'm going to add all these extra activities. It has to be small. It has to be one at a time where you can see if you're freeing up one hour a week, hey, maybe I can do two. 
maybe I could do something else the next weekend. It has to start small because otherwise if we try to do everything at once, it's overwhelming and it doesn't make sense. And then nobody does anything because it is overwhelming. Precisely. And then you end up like that poor guy on the sofa that thinks, you know, what the hell am I doing? You know, so I think having that New Year's resolution, I'm going to join a gym, how gym memberships go up every year in January. And then after two weeks, everybody uh, stops going. But if we incorporate that in our in our lives in small increments, it will become natural. and We won't even think about it anymore. I often find, too, that, you know, some people are more prone that need uh, when they need uh, an activity based uh, distraction, let's call it. And, you know, whether it's going to the pool, for example, like you go to the pool, take and your son learns to swim and he goes to the pool. I mean, how important is this kind of an activity? It's a sensory activity. It's 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 a feel of the water engulfs people. It's very cocooning. Uh, feeling activity. I imagine when you go underwater, Nikki, it's silent. And that for a single mother is a fabulous moment. It's my favorite part of the week. When I'm in the <laughs> pool, no phones, don't have to, I'm not paying attention to my computer. That's my creative time when I just think. And sometimes I, I sing as well a little bit in my head. There's always one song of the day, but I love that thinking time and it's quiet. Uh, taking my son to the pool this is our time. It's healthy. It's fun. And like you said, having that sensory experience is really important. And for oh, yeah. people need to focus. Whereas, you know, a lot. Uh, then I heard a lot of other stories about people that found activities that are a lot more cerebral. And in order to mind healthier and looking at what you want to focus on I think that's kind of the key to that point is you know cerebral activity and thinking about other things and beyond yourself to help break that ego bound identity enmeshment thing don't you think oh absolutely absolutely and the, the key word you just said about the, the ego when people can only identify themselves with that job or that position is quite dangerous well, that's that's the fear. And of course, you know, a lot of executives will never admit to such a thing. Uh, everyone, every human being has that kind of fear of who am I if I can't do this? And when it's forced upon you in a situation that we've all lived through in the last year, uh, where that rupture with your identity, your professional identity comes at no fault of your own, clearly, uh, but you are forced into it. People deal better with the idea of having to go into other industries, and some people don't deal well at all with the idea of not being able to exercise what they've always wanted to do. So what do we do? We have to go back to building resilience. Do we have the coping skills? And these are things that we can do, we can train uh, throughout our career and our lives. Because when you look at someone who maybe is a small business owner, a top executive after a 20, 25, 30 year career, and all of a sudden they have nothing. It's devastating. And if they haven't taken that time to stay true to themselves, have a sense of self, for lack of a better word here, it's, it's detrimental. And we have to keep focusing on those uh, resilience skills, coping skills. And COVID was that, that incident. It's forced all of us to look at ourselves in the mirror in some way, shape or form. Hopefully this will be that turning point of looking at our career. What is really important to me? What is important for my family? And now incorporating that in our lives as we move forward into the new normal, not going back in time, 
not going back to our old habits if we can help it, but into the next, uh, the next phase of our lives. I think that's a real healthy way to look at it. What is important overall, for example, if you can say, if you could tell your students, listen, if your overall goal is I want to be happy, I want to take care of my family and be able to keep everyone financially comfortable. That doesn't mean rich. That just means keep everybody well. If that's your overall goal, everything you do has to know, does it fit into that goal? And if working 100 hours a week in a law firm doesn't fit in with that goal, then maybe that is not your occupation. This is the kind of thinking I'm trying to get to in the professional side of things for these students, for example, is if you want to look beyond a job title and and climbing ladders and such and all of that, you know, what is your overall goal really? And does everything fit into that overall goal? And what doesn't needs to get off your plate. Absolutely. And as I ask the questions to my students about their goals, career goals, I'm very, uh, I'm very cautious when I hear students say, I want to make $1 million before I'm 25 or <laughs> before I'm 30, when it's just the, that figure ahead of them. I said, that's very dangerous. What's going to happen when you don't reach that goal? How are you going to cope with that disappointment? And these kids, some of the, the young students are focusing only on the monetary Uh, gain for their success. And I said, you are a lot more than just money. You are a lot more than just that job title. No, that is, that's absolutely accurate, Nikki. And and the funny thing overall is if they believe that the financial reward of the title in in itself is the reward, then like you say, when that's removed from them, uh, they will find a little bit of a crisis. Uh, another whole episode on another podcast will be, you know, how do you invent your third act in retirement? Because there's some very, very, very skilled people out there who have a lot to give. And they're my key element of mentors for Pass It On because they know exactly what they can give to help these students understand early on how not to make the mistakes. Absolutely. And also putting the word Am I feeling fulfilled in my life and my career? Not just happy. I'm happy today and sad the next, but fulfillment is what I'm doing, fulfilling for my career, my own beliefs, and my family and friends. That's true. I mean, looking beyond your job title, who you are at the core, uh, does your work complement it or does it engulf it? Uh, these kind of questions, you know, when you say, look, do I feel like I'm overwhelmed and I'm never seeming to get to the end of anything? Or do I feel that my views or my opinions at work are not valued? You know, there's all kinds of ways you can question it, but looking beyond your job title, who you are at the core, how would someone answer that in your classroom today? Right. And it's, it's habit that it's so easy to talk about the, the job and the job title. This is an exercise that I go through several times a semester, changing the question from tell me about yourself to what's your story, what makes you tick. And, and for some of them, it's also good for their interviewing technique. And I always encourage them to use a creative writing, try to think about things in a different way, continue to express themselves and find their voice, which relates to how can I find time for myself? Other activities that fall outside of the academic classroom and for other professionals, what can I do outside of my job? 
That sounds right to me, Nikki. I mean, building balance early in your career gives you resilience, gives you stamina and the ability to remain focused, calm and determined no matter what life throws at us, even a pandemic. And life is going to throw us a lot of stuff. (laughs) Indeed. Listen, Nikki, I am delighted you were able to join me again and throw in a couple of really useful comments for our young aspiring leader listeners. And I hope you'll come back and join us again for another subject on Pass It On. I sure will. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Corinne. Thanks, Thanks, Nikki. Bye-bye. By claiming back some time for yourself and diversifying your activities and relationships, you can build a more balanced and robust identity in line with your values. Then you know who you are without the job. You're way ahead of the game. Know thyself. Wise words. Well, that's all the time we have today, ladies and jelly beans. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pass It On with CWR Talent. If you'd like to reach out to our guests, please let us know and we'll pass it on. Please give us a follow and a like, and please, please share this with your networks across your social media platforms to reach more aspiring leaders. We appreciate your support. And also we'd like to thank our sponsor, Nancy Sharp from the Cider House Studio, who provides our artwork for our pages. Thank you, Nancy. Nancy makes art that makes people happy. I know it does me. Thank you. See you soon.